What's up, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome back to NASA in Silicon Valley Live. If this is your first time with the show, NASA in Silicon Valley Live is a conversational show out of NASA's Ames Research Center, where we talk about all the nerdy NASA news you need to know about. I'm your host today, Abby Tabor, and I have with me the extraordinary Danielle Carmichael. Hi, everybody. I am your co-host, Danielle Carmichael, and it is great to be back. If you don't know, we are simultaneously live on Twitch, YouTube, Face, uh, Facebook, and Periscope. But if you want to participate in the chat and ask our guests some questions, there's only one place to do that, and that's uh, www.twitch.tv backslash NASA. Okay, so speaking of NASA news, we have a really big announcement to make today. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so the news is that we are returning astronauts to the moon. And this is really exciting. So we have for you today two of our experts. We're going to talk about some of the plans that NASA has for returning to the moon. So let me introduce you to Tony and Kimberly. So why don't you two tell the audience who you are a little bit about yourselves. Kimberly? I'm Kimberly Enico-Smith. I'm a research astrophysicist here at NASA Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley, and I work on space missions. Fabulous. Thanks. I'm Tony Colapreet. I'm also here at NASA Ames Research Center. I'm a planetary scientist and work on space instruments, space missions, uh, things like that. All right. Mm -hmm. I work on instruments too. So yeah. all things space. We do a lot of similar stuff. Yeah, we spend a lot of time in clean rooms, mm -hmm. five chambers, thermal vac chambers, but not inside. But yeah. not inside. No, no, no. You don't undergo vacuum tests. Okay. <laughs> not on purpose. Yeah. All right. Cool. So let's start with the basics of returning humans to the moon. When's this going to happen? The clock, I think, up in front says so. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. So you quick, do the math. This. In, in 1,656 days. Exactly. <laughs> Eight hours, 46 minutes. To be precise. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's yeah. It. Counting in leaders. Exactly. <laughs> this is not the doomsday clock. No. <laughs> this new clock of ours is counting down the days until the year 2024, which is when the first woman and the next person, perhaps it's a man, perhaps a woman, will set foot on the moon, right? That's right. That's right. It's going to be a historic historic moment. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about this mission. Let everybody know what it's called to start us off. Well, um, we're calling it Artemis. Right. And, right, right. And uh, who is she? So who, like, why, why Artemis? Like, what's so significant about that name? Well, she's the, if you know your Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which I do. Or not your Latin mythology, because we are still talking Greek mythology. Um, Artemis is the twin sister of Apollo. That is and only appropriate. Yeah, and we see the connection. Very the connection. smart. Huh? Um, for those who know about the Apollo program, that's when we did send the first humans um, to set foot on the moon. Right. Exactly. So the Pretty next awesome. are going under the Artemis mission. And I might add that when I was in fifth grade, we did Greek mythology, and my goddess was Artemis. No way. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that played into the choice mm -hmm. of the name for the missions. But and she's so also Abby, a Greek goddess. Uh, uh, your destiny. It was. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Very excited for this. So why the moon? What is so exciting for a couple of scientists about going back to the moon? Oh, boy, where to start? <laughs> um, the moon is a spectacular place. It's, it's our nearest neighbor. It's a uh, treasure trove of science of exploration. It's, it's a place where we can learn about the history of the Earth and our solar system. It's also uh, really a launching pad in terms of our exploration beyond Earth. 
Yeah. There's uh, resources there we can utilize to explore, but there's also just the opportunity to test our abilities, our technologies, our processes for extended missions beyond the moon to Mars, for example. That's the ultimate destination beyond okay. the moon right now, but even beyond that to asteroids and, and other places. Wow. So it's a it's a huge sandbox, if you will, mm-hmm. to really learn and and. and and demonstrate what we can do to yeah. explore. Yeah, well said. Yeah, and also um, looking at just the moon itself, um, we know a lot about it, mm-hmm. but we've not really visited a lot fraction of the surface or even the environment of the moon. Okay. So there's a lot of mysteries still yet to be uncovered. Yeah, just yeah. on the surface and underneath the surface. Okay. And, and yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, we mentioned the Apollo program. We've been there robotically. We have a robot uh, spacecraft orbiting it now, mm-hmm. but we've only barely scratched the surface in terms of the amount of area we've explored on the moon. Yeah. There's so much more to learn. Imagine. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Mm-hmm. So you were anxiously anticipating Very. Uh, 1,656 days from now. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be watching that clock closely, I guess. Yes. All right. So tell us a little bit more specifically, where are we sending astronauts in 2024? Well, this is what I was going to actually just say was what's really, really exciting is we are going where we've never been before, and that's mm. to one of the poles of the moon, and Ooh. very specifically the south pole of the moon, awesome. which is my favorite pole. It is. If you have to have a favorite pole, that's my favorite <laughs> well, pole. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And and it's it's an incredible place, um, and we can talk about that as we go, but yeah. uh, it's full of spectacular topography, uh, moving shadows, extreme temperatures. It's, awesome. it's, it's unlike anywhere we've ever visited oh, that's before so cool. in yeah, the solar and, system. And we are going to talk all about that later. I'm excited mm-hmm. for that. Um, but you mentioned resources. Now, there's water there, isn't there? Uh, yes. Yes, dude. You, you <laughs> yes. confirm <Yes>. the <laughs> true statement. Okay, so why why is that so important? Obviously, I know humans need water to survive, but, but what do you see us using that for? Lots of other purposes, right? Yeah. Um, well, water is is key, and well, water is so important for two different reasons. One, it's it's incredibly scientifically interesting, mm-hmm. and understanding the water that we now know exists on the moon is really important to understanding the processes that have acted on the moon and the Earth over the last several billion years. Oh wow! Yeah, and and I like to think of the ice at the poles as almost like ice cores here on Earth. If we can examine that water ice, we can actually look back into the history of the solar system. Uh, but also, just as important, it is a valuable resource. And uh, as we probably all know, water contains uh, two hydrogen and an oxygen right. atom. And hydrogen and oxygen are exactly the ingredients that go into rocket fuel. And rather than spending mm-hmm. lots of rocket fuel to bring rocket fuel into space, which is what we <laughs> right. do now, right. it'd be great if we could actually find a resource and produce rocket fuel outside the gravity well of Earth. That would not only make things more affordable, it actually could be enabling of new architectures uh, for exploring Mars and beyond. Yeah, wow. And, and then um, the oxygen in itself is what we breathe. Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. And um, the, the techniques and the approach to how we excavate uh, water on the moon is applicable to even doing it on Mars. Um, so if you're looking for long-term human presence on other worlds and truly becoming interplanetary species, mm-hmm. we can be creating the oxygen that we breathe and the habitats in which we're living in off-world. Wow. Yeah. 
so amazing that we're actually mm -hmm. talking about that, you know, as a future reality, not just a plot line in the story. Right? That's so exciting. Yeah. So I actually have a couple of shout outs. So oh, Super nice. Snail says that the Earth and Moon shirt is awesome. Nice. And also, uh, Space <laughs> so TV Net said it's great to see Tony and Kimberly again. Yay! Yay. Fans. Long time fans. fans. Suspense and fans. <laughs> Outstanding. Wow. All right. <laughs> Do you have any questions yet, Danielle, or should um, we? I do. Um, so Moon uh, Mo Momstrites wants to know, like, what's the end long-term goal of the Artemis mission? Because we've been talking it up, but... Yeah, that's a great question. You want to oh, take yeah. that? Yeah. So Artemis is a, a term to describe a, a whole series of missions uh, to the lunar surface and using a, um, um, an orbital uh, tugboat uh, interplanetary spaceship called the Gateway. It's a big architecture. But in the long term, opening it up with many partners along on this journey, we have a sustainable presence on the moon where we are um, you know, providing the infrastructure for us to stay there. Um, for building materials, to creating the rocket fuel, to um, exploring areas that we've never been before, the you know actually going into the the depths of craters that we haven't explored yet, um, and pieces of the moon we don't see. So that long-term presence on the moon. But while we're using those techniques, those become applicable for to that next mm -hmm. step. You know, we're living off Earth on another world in a harsh environment and learning to deal with those challenges and solving those challenges. And once we've got that under our belt and we've understood our neighborhood background, uh, our backyard, uh, we can take that easily to Mars. Yeah, so cool. I, I see lots of other great questions, but I know that some of them we're going to answer yes. in the next few minutes. So, so let's keep going. Uh, I just want to touch back on the water a little bit. How much are we actually talking about? I know you two have worked together on a past mission that found some water at the yeah. South Pole yeah. of the Moon. Yeah. Can you tell that us a little was, bit that about was that? launched 10 years ago yesterday. Yesterday! yesterday. Yay. Yay. Happy, 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 happy yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the mission we launched with, LRO, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, is still in orbit around the moon, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. still collecting data and making fantastic maps of the lunar surface, which actually was really enabling of Artemis. It's, it's yeah. what's oh, making yeah. it uh, able to go forward. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, so, so the, uh, um, yeah, Kim and I were both part of the LCROSS mission, which was a mission that crashed a spent upper stage of a rocket into a permanently shadowed crater at the South Pole of the Moon. Right. And the purpose was to understand the nature of hydrogen we had measured there prior with a different mission and saw an excess of this hydrogen. We mm -hmm. didn't know if the hydrogen was water or just solar right. protons, which is hydrogen it, atoms is trapped it, in the soil yeah. or what. And, and our job was to actually uh, understand it to see if it could potentially be a resource. Mm -hmm. So it was a very mm -hmm. targeted mission. See what that water was so all about. So I actually yeah. want to back up a little bit. Like, sure. What is a permanently shadowed crater? Good so, question. Yeah. <laughs> well, doesn't everybody know what a permanent shadow is? <laughs> well, with the tilt of the moon and the um, illumination of the sun, um, there are places at both poles of the moon where the extreme topography, the rims of the craters of the moon, uh, the sun didn't, does not get above those rims. Okay. So the basins of those craters are in permanent shadow, and they have been in permanent shadow for you know four billion years. Wow. And being in the shadows, if you remember, if you're out in a hot day um, and you go underneath the shadow of a tree, you'll notice that things get a little cooler. 
well, and if you're in a permanently shadowed place on the moon, things get really, really, really cold. cold. So um, these, these, what was interesting, about, uh, Tony was mentioning this orbiter mission that had found hydrogen, it was concentrated at the poles. And there was a correlation with the permanently shadowed craters. So there was this connection between lots of amounts of hydrogen in very cold places that had never seen sunlight. And actually it was uh, um, theorized that these craters would have cold bottoms and could hold water as early as 1961. Oh, really? When we first were really understanding the topography, even before the Apollo program really got you know, off and running. Wow. And so uh, it wasn't, though, until... Ten years ago, uh, we verified the form of that hydrogen in one of these cold craters as water ice. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So let's review now. That was Elcross, which is the lunar, lunar crater. crater observation and sensing satellite. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. And we we hit a crater at the lunar south pole. At That's the why south, pole. south pole is Tony's favorite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And where the future astronauts will be landing. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. And do you remember how much water Elcross saw? Yeah, so, us, so that was a there. point measurement, right? It made a crater about 35 meters across, um, half a football field or so across. And so, yeah, pretty big hole. But we'll in that never cr- see it. It's in the dark. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, we took pictures of it. I know. We, we saw, saw it. We saw you it with our camera. Yes. <laughs> but uh, uh, it brought ejecta up into sunlight so we could examine it. And as Kim through, said, through the soil up when through it the soil smashed up, into the surface. Out of okay. shadow until it eventually reaches sunlight and what's... I always like to think about that. That's that soil hadn't seen sunlight in billions of years. That's crazy. Yeah. And in just the dirt we threw up into the cloud or into the sun, sorry, we saw about 152 gallons of water. Okay. Okay. And if you uh, take all, if you take that measurement and all the other measurements we have of hydrogen at the poles and uh, make some assumptions about how it's distributed with depth, we're talking 10 million. potentially up to 100 million tons, metric tons, oh, wow. of water ice. It's a lot of water ice. It's, it's a lot. I think so. It would make a big <laughs> ice cube. Like I think Kim and I were talking cube. beforehand, and it was about 130, 130 meters. 130 meters on a side up. ice cube. Yeah, like a football stadium. <laughs> for the, football stadium size. Ice cube for the 10 million. Yeah. 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 Yeah, important science there. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Science, science is that. Yeah. The moon's ice cube. Yeah. And yeah, to be clear, none of this is flowing liquid water. This is crystals All of ice. frozen oh, ice. Right. The temperatures are about minus 200 and, uh, to minus 240 or so below zero centigrade. Okay. And this was the first time we ever sampled the bottom of a permanently shadowed crater. I mean, since then, this has, experiment has been repeated. Okay. So that's and the only time. Um, in, not only did we find water, but there was a bunch of other things that were excavated as well. Oh, we found yeah. gold, mercury, oh. argon, uh, really? carbon monoxide. And so it's opening okay. up these questions. Um, when we're going to have humans and robots going to the poles of the south pole of the moon, we're going to get the, the boots on ground, the wheels on ground, and really understand understand what's there because yeah. we've never yeah. been there before and we just have this you know simple impactor experiment that opened more questions than it answered but it answered one particular one right. the hydrogen is definitely in the form of water ice and enough such that there is the resources to enable the exploration exciting yeah another yeah. good way to put it in perspective is Elcross about five percent by weight water water in the regolith in the dirt regolith mm-hmm. is a lunar dirt mm-hmm. for comparison that's about what you have in the Sahara yeah Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, okay. So the it. wettest places on the moon is as wet as the driest places on Earth. Okay. 
That says something. It's a comparison. But if you think about it, that's the engineering challenge ahead that we will solve to excavate it because we know it's there. And we can extract, um, you know, water has been extracted from very dry places. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That can be done. It can be. And we will do it. How exciting. Awesome. So I want to know then what's next. Okay. We know that people will will get there. We're going to send people there. Let's talk about how. So what's the rocket that's going to take people on the on the Artemis, Artemis missions to the moon? Who wants to take that? Space Launch System. That's it. The I SLS. Think, yeah, SLS. we have an animation, yeah. I think, of it, too. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, there it is. Largest rocket ever built. Um, and uh, it's to bring humans not only to the moon, but actually beyond, too. Uh, oh, it, yeah. it carries them in a capsule that's on the very tip of that that just went past the frame uh-huh. uh, called the Orion capsule. Very small capsule up there. But uh, that capsule, uh, you'll see in a little yeah, bit Yeah, yeah, we have an animation for that after yeah, the SLS. It is. <clears throat> it is very powerful. In fact, it um, is designed to take an incredible amount of material to, you know, deep space. Okay. Um, so it is servicing Moon and Mars and also mm-hmm. elsewhere. I mean, it also has amazing commercial spinoffs as well, because you can actually put up a replacement of, say, the GPS satellites in a single SLS launch rocket. It has a huge capacity, and it could transform the way we do other types of things in the agency. So it's one of many uses of a large rocket that's been, you know, uh, can be utilized. Oh, awesome. Mm -hmm. It's pretty awesome. Danielle, you jump in whenever you have to with a question, but otherwise we're going to keep talking about... Uh, so that was SLS, the rocket, and Tony pointed out the, the, the capsule. Yeah. Top. So let's see the Orion capsule animation and tell us a little bit about... So Orion is, uh, there it is, a, <clears throat> the capsule that will bring the astronauts wherever they're going to go. And, and this indeed can go not just to the moon, but also beyond to Mars. And after you know a lot of uh, analysis and study... Uh, it was eventually concluded that the uh, the Apollo shape, the blunt nose reentry system that Apollo used, is still the best way to go forward. Um, I however, love that. look how roomy. If you're looking at the, this video, how, look how roomy this one is compared to the Apollo capsules. Have anyone seen the Apollo 11 <clears throat> documentary that's out in the movie theaters? You get a feel for how tight how Apollo is. This sits yeah. four. and uh, it's a lot more powerful in every single way. From uh, uh, information systems, guidance, uh, payload, mm-hmm. everything, and 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 it's meant to be able to carry humans uh, longer distance, way beyond the moon. Okay. So uh, it is really is Apollo on steroids. I like to say. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. I love that it, it's kept some of the same design yeah. as Apollo. Like, way to go, Apollo engineers. Oh, yeah. So they you solved some pretty. They solved some pretty tough challenges, and they made it happen. Yeah. So, because we know we can do this. Uh-huh. So, so they I actually have a question in. from Digital uh-huh. Don Donger. He wants to know: um, Are you using specifically any Apollo era research or tech on the quest to return back to the moon? Well, the the shape uh, that I just mentioned is really was derived originally through the Apollo program. The shape of that capsule is very critical to enabling the re-entry. And, and, and this capsule is meant to re-enter, parachute, and splash down in, in the ocean, just like the Apollo program did. And speaking of re-entry, here at NASA Ames, um, we develop and test the thermal re-entry um, materials. Mm-hmm. And for the Apollo program, it was a, chemi- a chemical compound called Avcoat, 
and these in are the heat shields, the right? heat shields for yeah. the heat shields for that reentry through the atmosphere, and they would ablate, so they would absorb the heat and then you know protect the capsule so it could safely return. Um, to preparation for Orion, um, engineers uh, looked at Avcoat and modified the chemistry of that and did a lot of the testing. Um, so there's a, a direct connection even with the materials that were used during Apollo. Pretty cool. Um, cool. And nice. just modified for the, the the shape of the capsule, but um, for to and to support um, even reentry from um, further, dest- further destinations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say you're coming back from an asteroid, or say you're coming back from Mars orbit, or something like that. Speeds um, can be yeah. higher. Speeds so, can be different. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's smarter yeah. all okay. around. Yeah. I love that. Excellent. And I, I love these Apollo connections. But then on the flip side, how are, is the Artemis program different from Apollo? Let me take this. Oh, sure. What, an, an element that we um, that I mentioned briefly. Sorry about the spoilers. Is a um, <laughs> uh, is is actually one of the cooler parts of the Artemis program. It's this this object called the Gateway. Okay. And the Gateway is a fir- our first interplanetary spaceship. And this is something that NASA has never really built before. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why, in a sense, is exciting. I mean, this. Um, Space module, sometimes we call it spaceship, um, will be in lunar orbit, um, and it will provide the way to access all different parts of the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's also going to be crewed, but not 100% of the time. All right. So yeah. it has to be autonomous. So it'll have a lot of autonomy in it. And it um, also would be providing a way to be a space laboratory, mm-hmm. so we can put experiments on board yeah. for um, understanding biology outside our magnetosphere. Um, it also can dock with all the different uh, commercial and um, uh, international partners. It has an open architecture. Right. Okay. The port designs are gonna be available for anyone who wants to build things that connect to it. Okay. So the Apollo will connect, Apollo, Orion <laughs> will connect to it. Um, landers will collect, connect to it, yeah. um, service modules. But it has the ability to change its orbit. Mm-hmm. This, so it can also yeah. become this um, interplanetary tugboat. Because it can move things around and first enable travel. I mean, it's the transportation backbone for Mars exploration. Oh, wow. Okay. And again, this is Gateway, right? This is Gateway. Gateway. It's called Gateway. And we're going to um, this space uh, ship. Um, will oh and we have an animation showing of this orbit in which the gateway for the lunar exploration will have um, really is enabling and this is the part of the Artemis program that's very this is Apollo didn't do this Apollo uh-huh. took everything with them and everything came back so um, Artemis is is building up a sustainable presence right. and this uh, gateway is key to that yeah and one one Sorry. one part that I'd like to emphasize that Kim mentioned that is really different from Apollo is this open architecture aspect yeah. is NASA's not doing this alone and it's and it's even beyond what we did for the International Space Station where we had lots of other government agencies involved there is a huge involvement from the private commercial sector that's involved in all parts of this mm-hmm. so this Artemis program and lunar exploration going forward has got a commercial element a private sector commercial element a lot of people call it new space hmm part of it that didn't exist during Apollo. So we are really, I think, at the, you know, at the dawn of a new age of exploration uh, in in space beyond LEO. And low we, Earth orbit. Low yep. Earth orbit. Yeah. Sorry. Going farther yeah. out. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, as Tony was saying about this, it's sort of a space economy, have a lot of partners. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we're on the verge of, you know, if you were to go back in time and ask the Wright brothers to look at modern day today and see that, oh, I can fly from place to place on this planet using an airplane that they did their or go back and talk to Alexander Graham Bell, yeah. who invented the telephone, and we all look at using our smartphones to communicate. We have no clue what the future of space will be when we involve the commercial, commercial aspects. aspect yep. of oh, it. Oh, wow. It yeah. is really unbounded future. Wow. Yes. That's monumental. Yeah. How it exciting. Is. This is why it's different than Apollo. Right. <laughs> you ask a simple question, you get a big a answer. Pretty profound answer. Yeah. Right? From yeah. the science point of view, Tony and I are real excited about the science, yeah. but it has yeah. a lot of, it's much bigger than well, the science. And it, and it will enable cool. a lot of that science and we'll be able to do things we could never have done before. Before, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, how long? How long? 1,656 <laughs> yeah. days. <laughs> well, let's move into our rapid fire section. So I'm not going to give any usernames, but I'm just going to go ahead and just uh, spit out some questions. Rapidly so, fire questions. Um, and we have to rapidly answer. First one. Yes. <laughs> uh, what is the long-term effect of the human body on the moon? Long-term effect of the human body on the moon or the environment on the human body? Oh, I, I understand yeah. the environment on the human so, body. So it goes both ways, though, yeah, and that's true. actually a really interesting okay. question from the science standpoint in particular. These cold areas, these uh, in the craters, are what are called cold traps. They're mm -hmm. so cold... Any molecules that get in there freeze out. Oh. So every time we've gone to the moon and the astronauts vented water or vented other things or outgassed, outgassed means stuff subliming off of equipment, those molecules, some of those molecules very likely found their ways to the poles of the moon huh. and froze out. Okay. And they're there now forever until a meteorite might release them. If we go, once we go exploring, not just we NASA, but the world, yeah. uh, will bring more and more of these volatiles and other materials to the moon that will be trapped in the cold trap. So if you're trying to understand the, some pristine environments to understand the mm -hmm. history, the last three billion years, you you want to do it in a way that you can understand what contaminants you've brought there yourself. Yes. Okay. And uh, we actually, we, NASA Ames, uh, uh, flew a mission not long ago, long ago called LADEE, the Lunar Atmospheric Dust Environment Explorer, and its principal purpose was actually to understand the lunar atmosphere, the mm -hmm. exosphere, in its pristine state with the anticipation that more and more countries and commercial peoples would be going to the moon. And mm -hmm. so we wanted to get kind of a background before okay. we started okay. impacting the right. moon. Right, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, the baseline yeah. before we touched it. Right, yeah. right. Interesting. Um, from a impact on the human body. Radiation is one of the principal concerns, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of very clever solutions being looked at uh, in terms of shielding. And and we talk about water as a resource. There's lots of other resources at the moon, and, and especially at the poles, including lighting for the solar power, but also the dirt itself. The regolith can be an excellent insulator. Oh, okay. And so uh, as Kimberly was talking about living off the land involves using whatever you, you have, whatever you yeah, have in yeah, hand yeah. No to choice. make your situation better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, excellent. Okay, next question: How many launches until the first base is set up? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, we're not concerned about a, a base. Um, so there's two phases to the Artemis. The one is the um, the return of the first humans, and that's the 2024 milestone. And then there's a later milestone, 2028, mm -hmm. where we have a more established presence there. 
Um, prior to um, the first humans going on, on the moon, we'll have the first launch of Artemis, Artemis One, which will not have humans on board, but will mm -hmm. carry uh, space satellites and robots and the like. Some will go to deep space. Um, a second um, Artemis mission will actually go to the moon or in orbit around the moon. It's on that third um, launch of the SLS um, that we would be carrying the humans. And that's the 2024 milestone. Okay. So we should see a sequence of incremental steps towards yeah. proving out the new launch system and the new capabilities. In addition, the first module of the gateway, uh, which is the solar propulsion element, which is a really cool technology oh, yeah. advancement. We've never seen an engine like this on a spaceship before. Um, that's going to be launched by a commercial rocket. Okay. And so that's, you know, we're going to be having all these different types of infrastructures getting us um, all part of the Artemis program. And, and that's, it, this really brings up an important point. It's not a, it will be done by this date. It will be a continuous development and build up of, uh, in a, to reach a, an eventual sustained presence. And so the exact date when it becomes a base or whatever you want to call it isn't it Moon Village. Moon Village. <laughs> moon City. Uh, moon, moon Town. Moon Town. Moon Town. Community. community on the moon. When that exactly happens is kind of ill-defined because it's really building up of capabilities over time. Uh, there will be longer and longer stays as they move through these various phases, as Kimberly stayed, uh, mentioned, um, for the astronauts on the surface. So. Okay, so we have time for two short questions, I hope. <laughs> yeah, so um, how long is this gateway going to be inhabited by astronauts when it's finished? That's a good question. I mean, it's variable. Um, the, the key point is that that um, spaceship needs to be able to operate without humans because there will be periods in which humans aren't on board. Um, so I don't know the exact fraction of it, but it's going to have two different modes, when the humans are on board and when they're not. Yeah, I've heard numbers. Um, up to 30 days at a time. Okay. So they're not going to be up there for a year like we do on space station. They'll go up there um, and then come back in, in a month or two. Um, and so that's to Kimberly's point is a lot of the time you'll have to have robots running the house. Mm -hmm. Okay. So last question. Uh, someone wants to know, like, what's the coolest thing about Gateway? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you vote for this power. Well, Kim, yeah, I, I agree with Kimberly. <laughs> I, I call it the tugboat. The it's this electric propulsion system, and it's at a power level we've never built before. Really? And, and what's neat is it allows it to change its orbit around the moon. So it is really a spaceship. It's not just going in an orbit. It can actually steer this entire space station size kind of thing yeah. in, in space. Okay. And, and and then ultimately, it's it's the kind of engine that's going to be used to bring us to Mars and mm. to asteroids and to wherever else. So, okay. um, you know, it's a slow ride, it's oh, it's slow it? acceleration. Yeah. Okay. Acceleration, yeah. it, 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 it's slow, but it's powerful. It allows you to get to the kinds of velocities with a lot of mass that you need to, to do interplanetary travel. Okay. And, and I yeah. like the ar open architecture. I don't yeah. think... All the engineers have figured out all the wonderful uses of Gateway. Because mm -hmm. um, it's a little, I mean, it's going to be designed for a certain purpose and will achieve those purposes, allowing the docking of multiple vehicles from different countries and companies, uh, allowing astronauts to stay for periods of days, months, um, being in constant communication with the Earth, being in communication with the surface of the moon, being able to deliver things to the surface of the moon at different latitudes. I mean, it's very versatile. Um, but it could also be a test bed for uh, testing um, other types of vehicles that actually might be made in space someday mm -hmm. and well, then launch them from there. <laughs> I mean, it has a lifetime that we'll keep giving. Okay. Uh, 
we're only thinking about how to, uh, you know, do that first step is the the first step and the return to the moon, the forward to the moon part. Um, but there's a lot more than it can give. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You you both keep mentioning learning at the moon and then we'll go on and you know SLS could take us to Mars. So let's talk really quickly a little bit about Mars. So what are some favorite fun facts about Mars that you can share with us? Okay. Well, we we have a picture of Mars to, to cue people in what what Mars looks yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's the fourth planet around the sun. Um it's a red planet. The red is um, primarily due to iron in the um, the rocks on the surface of, the, of Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, Mars uh, has polar caps. It has, you know, it's one of the other bodies besides the Earth that has um, frozen um, ice. It's water ice and carbon dioxide ice at the polar poles. Um, it's uh, it has an atmosphere. Um, but its atmosphere is different than Earth's. Um, it's probably made of carbon dioxide, whereas our atmosphere is nitrogen-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you, it's a fourth, where the Earth is the third planet and Mars is the fourth planet. We're both circling around the sun. Um, if you imagine racetrack, cars on a racetrack. Yeah. Um, so at our closest distance between the Earth and Mars is about 34 million miles, and that happens every 26 months. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're doing laps. Um, right, they're mo- moving, moving at different speeds around the racetrack. Moving different speeds around the racetrack. So this is a reason why when we launch our you know, robots to Mars, and f- in the future, the human, the crewed missions to Mars, uh, taking advantage of the close, that 26-month yeah. period of, uh, of alignment okay, is, helps shorten the distance, because even okay. at that short distance, the trip is still about six to nine months. Yeah. Okay. Still a long way to get to Mars. You want to take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. All right. And the moon, you say, is going to help us practice for what we might do when we reach Mars, Yeah, everything we, we, uh, so much of what we will be doing on the moon is extensible uh, to to Mars and, and everything from the kinds of tools we use to the procedures and processes and the technologies learning to uh, really work and and build and construct in uh, different environments that the moon and Mars, everything from gravity to low, little to no atmosphere, mm-hmm. et cetera, um, is really important. And, and bringing it back to water, as Kimberly mentioned, Mars has got water. We've known that for a while. It's got a lot more water than the moon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and... But that is the uh, one of the key connections between the moon and Mars, is as we learn to utilize water on the moon, everything from locating it, <clears throat> excavating it, processing it, mm-hmm. all that can be carried over and applied to how we do that on Mars, which we want to do. We want to, <clears throat> excuse me, live off the land at Mars, too. We don't yeah. want to bring everything with us to Mars eventually. We right. will, of course, the first few mm-hmm. times, but uh, you, you can't. It's too far away. All right. And I was just say I was mentioning earlier is once we're really comfortable with this whole approach on excavating the water and processing the water and, and transferring it to rocket fuel or oxygen or other utilizations, because water can be used in many different ways, mm-hmm. um, that's a totally applicable system for Mars, um, you yeah. know, directly. Yeah. And also, they'll most likely there'll be wonderful spin-offs that can be used back here on Earth. Oh yeah, I mean anything to do with things stories. in a closed system is uh, usually very power conscious. You're not using a lot of energy. Yeah, um, recycling you're, you're a lot of stuff. Recycling, recycling a lot of things. Yep. Um, yeah. We'll have you know very improved technology. Awesome. That, okay. uh, who knows what we're going to discover? Actually, I have a question from the chat. Looks like King Goldboy Gamer wants to know, like, when are we actually going to go to Mars? Hmm. I. 
Uh, I don't know if you guys know it. I don't know. Date. I don't know the precise date yeah. off the top of my head, hmm. but it would be, uh, uh, you know, a couple decades beyond. Okay. Okay. It's still a little ways out. So first, we're still going to the moon. Yeah. We're going to practice. We're going to yeah. learn to excavate water and yeah. process it and yeah. all that. And mm-hmm. also, um, the most fragile part in this whole uh, amazing exploration adventure yeah. is the human body. Wow. Okay. The yeah. human body yeah. outside the magnetosphere, you know, we've had only um, 24 individuals who've been outside that. We are now wow. going to have the ability to really study biology and the, how the human body is reacting to this. This will make us totally prepared mm-hmm. for that long mm-hmm. trip to Mars. Because yeah. okay. a mission to the moon is three days and you're on the surface for weeks, months, come back, but you're, you're close to home. Mm-hmm. When you go to Mars, we're talking a two-year. And how yeah. is the body, you know, trip. it's like mm. a six months, nine months to get there. You're going to be there for a few months, and you come back. You want to take advantage of the sure. close by, so you're going to be on a sort of a two-year time scale. <laughs> right, right. Just think Travel about it. Um, you know, what we're going to learn to protect the human body and, uh, you know, enable all the infrastructure to allow the human body to survive and thrive, we'll solve that by being on the moon. Yeah, yeah. cool. And, okay. So tell me quickly, so so I want to know what's coming up then, you know, what's what's in the news coming up next in the process. So um, human landers will be built uh, by, by NASA, by partners. What do you guys know about that? There was a, I believe there was a bid that went out on the street for companies to um, provide lunar landers um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, docking with the gateway or not, because it's an open, it's a different type of architecture you can use. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, right. there's, and there's a, a, a variety of landers being pursued with the commercial sector with NASA, and there are smaller landers mm-hmm. um, being built now, and we've actually, uh, NASA just recently selected three to be carrying NASA payloads. So instruments and things, uh, instruments before and things. people go. Exactly. Yeah, they would land and, next year. Yeah. Okay. Next year already. As yeah. soon as next year, well, and, yeah. and a couple in, in the summer of 21, mm-hmm. uh, okay. 2021. And what's really neat is these these um, companies are providing NASA a delivery surface. Mm-hmm. It's okay. not NASA telling them, we need a lander like this. No. It's they're building a lander that provides a service and selling that service then Okay. To NASA. Here's an example of one hmm. on the screen of cool. one of these small commercial landers. And these companies then have plans to increase this, the, the scale and the scope of these landers so they can carry more and more to the surface. So the human landers are, um, like as Kimberly said, right now being discussed with commercial companies as to who, who's going to participate mm-hmm. and, and, and build them going forward. Okay. And it's really kind of exciting because, again, this is a totally new paradigm. We NASA's always built the landers with commercial companies, mm-hmm. but they've done it in a uh, very much requirement-driven process. We need you to build this for us. Okay, right? I see. Yeah. This is very different. This is, I'm buying my airline ticket to mm-hmm. fly mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. the country. I'm not okay. telling you how to build your airplane. Right, right, right. right. You that's, get me there somehow. <laughs> exactly, and that's what we're doing now. And um, cool. other um, other folks can pay to use the services so it's yeah. um Not it just opens NASA. up the yeah. of accessibility of the moon mm-hmm. to okay yeah. okay so anybody yeah. conceivable oh, sorry I have a no question. it's okay i have a question <laughs> from the chat a space t- a space tv net wants to know are any of these vehicles going to be like the lunar roving vehicle mm. yeah there's actually commercial rovers actually mm-hmm. being discussed too so 
Uh, NASA is working on some rovers as well, but uh, and and, def- and rovers come in all shapes and sizes. Exactly. They do. <laughs> yep. Robotic, but also for the uh, humans beyond 2024. Uh, there's definitely plans for large, even pressurized rovers that they right. would go oh, in. So I see. way beyond what we did in the Apollo era. Uh-huh. Um, Think the Martian, remember? The, oh, okay. the pressurized. So, yeah. But some of these commercial Indies. landers, the ones going in the next uh, year and a half or so, are carrying very small rovers, mm-hmm. uh, okay, five nice. kilogram, 10 kilogram rovers. Oh, and eventually those rovers will be also providing a service. So a, the landers provide the landed service, and commercial rovers can provide a roving service. Cool. Okay. So I can put my instrument on a rover that we can buy space yeah. on, rather than NASA yeah. having to build all that. Okay. Now, speaking of your instrument, <laughs> I know that you have a was lunar... That, a good segue? <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. Thanks, Tony. Did you bring it today? Well, I brought part of it. All right. Okay. Can you show us and, and tell us what it's going to do up there? I don't drop it. So something like this is flying to the moon in the next year or two? Yeah, so this was selected to fly um, one of the three landers that is going Mm -hmm. to the moon in the next few, uh, next couple years. And this is, uh, it's called NERVOUS. Nervous. It's a terrible acronym. <laughs> it is, of course, an acronym. And it's so an what, acronym. Is it, what does it stand for? <laughs> Near Infrared Volatile Spectrometer System. Okay. And what it does is it finds water. That's its principal purpose is to find volatiles, but especially mm-hmm. water. Okay. So it's a prospecting uh, instrument. If cool. you think about uh, when we uh, look for minerals and resources on Earth, you prospect, you go and look at this is what this instrument's meant yeah. to do. Yeah. Sniffing out where the water is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, this is an engineering unit. This is a unit that we use to develop uh, the technology, make sure we can make the measurements and, and meet the goals we want to meet. Mm-hmm. And then we then test it in the similar environments it's going to see. For example, it has to survive launch, landing, oh, yeah. vacuum, radiation, et cetera. You and, test all that. And yeah. you test all that, make sure it works, and, and you can see it's just got a bunch of eyes on it. Yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> what, what else is going on there? Yeah, so um, what what... It's meant to, an important aspect of this is is it needs to work both in sunlight and in darkness. Just like Kimberly was saying, these are dark craters. Some, we're really right. interested yeah, in Yeah, because there's really that correlation, but we, yeah. We have to go down there and we have to look at the scales we're going to yeah, work scale. at. Okay. Because you know, the data from orbit is giving us hundreds of meter kind of footprints of where uh, the, the water resolution. is. Yeah. This is going to give us human scale, you know, uh, things right. on the meter. And that's an unknown, that's you know, so we do need to. Exactly. Uh, that's exciting. This is a. So real quick, this this if uh, this little guy right here, I can't get the nice blue shine of it. There, that's, this is an infrared lamp. Oh yeah. Um, and and the intent of this is to actually pr- provide infrared light for the other instruments, so it can see in the dark. Likewise, all these things over here, these little guys, those are LEDs of various colors. So they provide uh, illumination from the ultraviolet to the near infrared. Uh, for our camera system, which is right here, this is a lens to the camera system, this black thing. This allows us to image the area at very high resolution, mm-hmm. understand the chemical makeup, the mineralogy, the morphology, and things like that. And the last thing are the four sensors right underneath uh, the camera. These four right here, this is really hard to do, it's like doing it in a mirror. Those <laughs> four there, those are thermal sensors, it's a thermal radiometer. And what that does is it allows us to measure temperatures of the scene we're looking at. Because we're interested in not only understanding if water is there, but we want to understand the environment we are finding water or not finding water. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. we will use this data to build what is called a resource map. On Earth, we call them a mineral, mineral map. It's oh, what yeah. the United States Geological Survey 
provides mm-hmm. uh, to a company that's interested in finding minerals. And, and we're going to do this on the moon, basically build these maps and understand the location. This is one instrument of several that is dedicated mm-hmm. to do this kind of work. Oh, yeah. 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 All working in tandem and yeah, they, exactly. piece together a map together, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I see. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm, cool. I'm trying to convince Tony that the next iteration of this has to be handheld by the astronauts. Ooh, <laughs> so yes. So they have the astronauts go and look at it and like, okay, time to go. That's our resource. Yeah. So. Sold. I'm I sold. It's on. All right. Do you have a um, question actually, right I now? Do. Mm-hmm. So, um, Gar Chose wants to know how is NASA going to protect these rovers from lunar dust? Mm. Yeah, lunar dust is a is a unique beast. It is a beast, yes. and, and and it's really is unique in that it's only generated because of the environment on the moon. It's generated through the impact processes, mm. and so the dust. And it's never eroded. There's no there's air. no there's no wind to make uh, or water or flowing liquid water to yeah. smooth things yes. out. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's jagged and jagged. It locks in place. It's yeah, like it's glass. Like, mm-hmm. And the That's Apollo wild. astronauts, you know, complained about you know got into their lungs and oh, no. scratched their yeah. suits. The suits were all ripped to shreds. It's wow. Got, yeah. So it is it is it, a beast. It is a beast. beast. And, and the way you protect, there's a lot of ways you can protect it. Everything from electrostatic barriers they're working on. So one nice thing about the, uh, a lot of the lunar dust it is, it has a magnetic property to it. It's got some uh, ferric iron in it, nanophase iron, and so you can actually repulse it with electric fields. Um, you can force also field. develop force For, fields. Force fields, exactly. Like Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 oh, and also a number of other mechanical gasket materials, basically things that go between bearings on wheels and whatnot okay. that make it uh, very dif- difficult for the dust to get to the bearings of the, 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 the delicate parts. These okay. are kind of torturous paths it has to follow. Huh. And, and yeah, we're cool. fortunate that there's been um, a couple of lunar simulants that have been made, modeled on the oh, really? regolith that was brought mm-hmm. by the Apollo astronauts. Huh. And so um, um, companies and engineers who are looking at wheel design and rover design, they can test out their designs as best as possible yeah. with this kind of jagged kind of simulant. Oh, wow. okay. yeah, I mean, that, obviously it's cool. not we a could... one-to-one connection. In fact, one of the big yeah. mysteries about the um, permanently shadowed regions, um, when our L-Cross experiment that we did a decade ago finding water in Cabeas, um, it revealed that perhaps the, the regolith in those permanently shadowed craters are actually different than really? the regolith oh, that real? was found on the Apollo sites. Oh, it's different so across the surface. So there's going to be some learning to be done. Yeah. So yeah. the engineers will t- do the best knowledge they have now using a simulant, d- designing the wheels and the excavation. We're going to have challenges with drills and scoops and all that. The mm-hmm. same thing to do with the beast that is the dust. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we'll overcome those. But we're going to have to get there yeah. on the scene at the South Pole and the polar regions and go, hmm, that dust is different. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what we're going to do next time. All right. Yeah. Who so knows? That <laughs> question foreshadowed my favorite section of the day. Uh, you guys describe the South Pole as unexplored territory, and you keep referencing that it's really extreme, it's going to be tough. So let's go through some of those I mean, specific challenges. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, Wanting to go in the deepest mines on Earth. Oh, really? And mm-hmm. the deep, you know, the deepest undersea exploration. You know, yeah. it is because it's so different from what we're used to, or is it really deep in it, that it's sense? It's really mm-hmm. deep. Right? So the topography is extreme. It's completely huh. unlike a lot of the topography we saw at Apollo at lower latitudes. Um, they landed in flat areas. Okay, you right. Know, nice, yeah. pristine. That's kinda. what I picture the moon and, as. And, and we'll be landing perhaps, in areas that are ridges that are sitting on top of a crater that looks down into a six-kilometer hole. 
Ping so, pong? It's like, it's like th- three miles or Yeah, so? exactly. What? About three miles down. And and you can stay, they'll be standing on the edge of these vistas overlooking wow. mountains that are many miles high wow. into craters that are uh, 10 miles across and, really? and three miles deep. And I never knew it was that extreme. And it then is. the lighting conditions, um, because of the low angle of the sun, you can have shadows that are being cast from a, a, a ridge of a crater that's hundreds of kilometers away. Really? And the shadows so. will be sweeping across yeah. you over timescales of hours. And as we mentioned earlier, when you're in shadow, your temperature drops. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you're yeah. going to be experienced. Of course, you're in a, a suit, suit yeah. that's keeping you regulated. But if yeah. you think about it, the whole lighting condition, the whole dealing with the swing of temperatures is going to stress out your system. So mm-hmm. yeah, your equipment and your equipment, machinery and everything. Yeah. And, and, yeah. There, and there are areas where there's areas of this permanent shadow darkness, this permanent mm-hmm. darkness. But there's also areas that have what I like to say, uh, persistent sunlight. Mm-hmm. So there are some of these peaks, because they're so extreme, that no matter what time of uh, year it is, it has very often sunlight at it. So it's often at wow. the rims or, or crests of some of these ridges near these craters. And so those are very attractive for the reasons Kim said, is you won't be getting these deep shadows sweeping across you all that often. Right, on, okay. And when they do, it might just be for f- five, six, seven days, as opposed to you know three months something like that so huh. so these are uh, and they're great places to put your power station exactly and, and, oh, yeah. and, and, and have some power. of your infrastructure again it's okay. sort of you know if you're going to explore and you, you're learning about where you're exploring take advantage of the gifts that were given exactly. to you by nature yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and also be aware of the dangers you know yeah, of course um, so yeah. you keep talking about those the poles we actually have this really cool anime or video Showing uh, some light cycles at That's the Moon South Pole. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So can you tell us what we're seeing? This is we're seeing night falling. The, or? Well, what, what, what we we started at a low um, latitudes, looking at the moon as we see the moon, and what you saw was the the sun moving across the face of the moon. There is no dark side of the moon. <laughs> Every side of the moon gets get sunlight, sunlight. That's at some point. You get 14 days of sunlight, 14 days uh-huh. of darkness. And we just don't see that. We just don't side. see that because we yeah. always see the near side. Now, this what's done is this uh, movie's swung down, so you're looking at the south pole of the moon. That crater, nice circular one right in the middle, that Shackleton crater is almost exactly at the south pole hmm. of the moon. It is about 15 miles across and about four miles deep. And wow. what you see are these shadows that are sweeping across. And it's because, again, as Kim, Kimberly explained earlier, the tilt of the moon on its axis is very small. So the sun's always just hugging the horizon, mm-hmm. creating these shadows. Okay. And and you, you can see in some of these craters, like the big Shackleton itself and the larger ones just above it, the floors of those craters never get sunlight. They are in permanent shadow. Mm, they just say dark. You can just stare yeah. at a, a piece of the, you know, Pick out a point in the video and look at it, and see, you can see over the course of the shadow pattern what gets right. light or not. Yeah. Right, and right. then you also saw there were these rims of yes. the craters that got sunlight most of the time. Most of the time, they stayed light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So extreme. So lighting conditions are extreme. Topography is extreme. Mm-hmm. Temperatures are extreme. The dust, we sort of know what it's made of, but maybe not. Um, yeah, right, right. <laughs> we'll see um, when we get there. Uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. it could have some other benefits too. We just have to. We haven't explored it. Mm-hmm. And we haven't explored it with robots yet either. So, right, that's right. And, and humans need and, to and get somebody's general, boots on the ground. And, and in general, we see this increase of hydrogen at the poles. Mm-hmm. And we've seen an increase in hydration of the soils, meaning 
hydroxyl OH or water molecules bound to the soils, even in sunlight, oh, and, really? and yeah. in inc increased amounts towards the poles. So just the composition, and even in the sunlit areas, is going to be different from anything we've ever seen before. Wow. Yeah. And um, that's going to just make the modelers go crazy because we're going to have a lot of, a lot of Tony's types of instruments, you know, looking for the water on these scales, and then we're going to try to piece together quite a complex puzzle. Yeah. Um, but it's a nice, it's an interesting puzzle to have. I mean, oh, we, were, we wouldn't be talking about water cycle on the moon. It's right. only been 10 years. That's now, cool. 10 years is a... It's not a long time, but it's long enough for like to realize that you know this moon is a place that we have full of things that we don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. It's more active than I ever pictured. It is. It's very active. And more extreme. Especially at the poles. Kind of picked yeah. a better place to go. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. Cool. You know, speaking of that, uh, you guys don't forget, um, if you do have any questions, please type them into the Twitch chat. It's uh, www.twitch.nas twitch.tv backslash NASA. Um, so we're going to move into our rapid fire section. So uh, Jesta578 wants to know about the nervous instrument. Is it ultrasound, IR, and visual? Mm. Uh, it is a little bit of everything. So I always like to say we go in with our eyes wide open for all the reasons Kim just said, because you don't exactly know what you're going to see. So uh, it is actually a combination of near-infrared and for you geeks out there, that's between about 1.2 and 4 microns. Thermal infrared, that's between about 8 and 25 microns. And ultraviolet visible, which is a, we run about um, 0.35 to 0.94 microns. Okay, so it's, so everything it's, it's we ultraviolet could... uh, colors that are below what we can see in okay. terms of our visual mm -hmm. spectrum. And and energy is beyond what we can see in, into the thermal infrared. Okay. Yeah. And then what Donnie had mentioned is that this this like this is the front end with the cameras, but the um, infrared um, is going to be connected to a spectrometer on the back end. Okay. Because it's from the spectrometer spreading the light out into different wavelengths, and it's over the infrared that you're going to see the water signature or the hydroxyl signature and the minerals. Yeah. And so this is a very, um, it's a compact instrument with both cameras and thermal sensors to get the temperature plus the spectrometer to get the amount the of what, composition, mm -hmm. yeah. composition yeah. what things are made out of. All right. So let's see. Dude is Dudette wants to know: Is there a sample return plan for lunar water? Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely. Uh, the, they do want to return. Uh, yeah, but the question is: will it, will it happen? Okay. It will happen yeah. with the humans going in 2024 because yes. they're going to bring samples back. Yes. Okay. No worry. We're going to be so excited yes. for that. Yes. <laughs> Question is, will we get a rover to get us a sample return before the humans? Don't know yet. Yeah. That would be awesome, too. Okay. Um, but yeah. we're no. certainly going to get something. We're, we're going to get something. And specifically, there's a lot of discussion about <laughs> cryogenic sampling. Because yeah. when you sample something that's at minus 230 degrees below centigrade, about that. Uh, there's a lot of debate right now whether or not you need to keep it that cold yeah. or do you just need to seal it and make sure you don't lose as it sublimes, as it warms mm -hmm. and the ice is sublime. Yeah, I was on a it? mission concept for sampling off a comet and we had that same, same debate because yeah. we're going to bring it back to the Earth. The mm -hmm. question is do you keep it in cryo storage or do you allow it to come up to room temperature, but then you've lost some information. But you're okay, right, yeah. they're going to have to solve that issue. I never thought about mm -hmm. that. You're right. Yeah. We're going to bring back our water samples from the moon. We're going to have to have they're some sort of... You need a couple of cords. Definitely need, yeah, need a good chiller. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bring a cooler. Ah, bring a cooler. Yeah. As simple as that. <laughs> so, so it looks like Grendian wants to know, he wonders, what is the moon smell like? What does <laughs> yes. the air smell like on the moon? Good question. Well, we don't know, but according to the Apollo tapes, they smell. They said it smelled like gunpowder. 
gunpowder. That was the, the huh. it's, it's reported by several of the astronauts. Um, so my husband and I are geeks. We kind of listen to the audio tapes of all the Apollo missions. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we kind of so, do that. It's only appropriate. Evening. And more than once, they would say it smelled like gunpowder. I have no idea whether that would be true. I mean, it just. And that's air, to be clear. That's air in the capsule. That's the air in the capsule. When they got in after their EVAs, this extra vehicle activity, and are romping around on the surface, yeah. and they're coming back in, and they're taking off their coats, that's when they smell it. Because, you know, um, yeah, they and needed the atmosphere. The, the, but they're also in a pure oxygen atmosphere. So I don't know if that changed anything. Maybe. You know? It has something to do with the dust, they think. Because, yeah. again, this dust is very huh. unique. It's never been, as it gets fractured, and, and uh, melted and resolidified by impacts on the surface, it creates what are called very um, open active sites on the surfaces that, again, on Earth, we have all this oxygen around us that reacts yeah, very quickly. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you see that reacting. Very, yeah. very, very little atmosphere. It's called yeah. an exosphere, meaning a molecule can leave the surface of the moon and never encounter another, another molecule as long okay. as it lives. That's very crazy. Sad. It's a lonely life. A lonely do life. They, do, they, do they make <laughs> instruments that measure smell? Or is that just a human thing? Or a dog thing? Or a dog thing. That's a great question. <laughs> that's your really newest instrument. There yeah, it is. You want to take a pristine sample and then somehow hook up to it some sniffing instrument that yeah. will I guess measure. if it knows what molecules are in. Wait, what do molecules smell like? Coming oh, off right, right. There's instruments with the nanotubes that measure can measure specific chemicals, yeah, right? Okay. Right. Yeah. That, as they reach, so it's kind of like a smell. Is that okay. But then to extrapolate it to what we would experience. We would experience. Yes, yes. That's very subjective. Yeah. Yeah. So the dust has these open surfaces and reacts with the oxygen in the yeah, capsule. Yeah, so yeah. I was wondering whether that it, made it. That's it, the, the comment that was made. Yeah. I mean, that's our only one data point, right? Mm. So we're looking forward to more data more points. On the moon. More, <laughs> more smelling the moon. <laughs> so Sun Cricket wants to know: um, Will new suits be made specifically for longer stays on the Martian surface, or sorry, the Moon surface? <laughs> and then they are working on the next generation suit, and I'm afraid I don't know the name of it, uh, the designation of it, but they are working on a new generation mm -hmm. suit that is meant to be uh, more mo mobile, a lot more mobility to it. Okay. Um, and uh, to allow the astronauts to uh, be able to do things like that they couldn't do on Apollo. For example, yeah. if you saw an astronaut fall over on Apollo, hmm. they would have to do a push-up to get themselves up. They couldn't bend the knees well oh. enough to actually okay. stand. Yeah. So right. they'd have to do a push-up a few times until they got enough momentum to get themselves back up. Okay. So they are cool. And then when oh, they were, yeah. and then when they were, ex on, when they were excavating the soils, so when, when they were excavating the soils, the, the fingernails of the astronauts were crushed up against the edges oh, of yeah. the gloves, oh, really? and they were all bruised and, hmm. and everything. So we want our the astronauts on the moon to be very physically active, excavating all this water for us yes. and building uh, habitats and doing that. So the new suits are. They got a lot to do that better. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Here's a good one. Can I jump in with a question? Go for it, Abby. From Terminus 1961. How do you communicate with a probe down in the crater? What are the challenges? So, this is kind of a really interesting hmm. uh, point. A, a dark crater does not mean we can't see into the crater from Earth. Ah, uh -huh. good point. So, um, in one instance, you can use what's called direct to Earth communications. That's where is what we did to Apollo. On or in Apollo. this case, it's direct to Gateway. Or, 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 yeah. or, 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 or Earth, or, 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 or yeah. depending on the geometry. Exactly, yes. right, right. So in some instances, yep. yes, you can see Earth from a PSR, from the floor of a permanently shadowed region oh, or crater. Yeah. 
Other instances, you'll be able to look up overhead and see gateway. Yeah. So you can relay. You can look straight up and talk to oh, a, a, yeah. a relay satellite or gateway. Okay. Um, but they've also talked about having repeaters. Yeah. So some of these commercial service providers aren't just talking about providing landed services I can take you uh, to the moon, but they're also talking about setting up infrastructure on the moon, like okay. telecom. Telecons. Wi-Fi. So a lot of the, 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 the commercial uh, landers that are going actually will communicate with the small rovers and whatnot with Wi-Fi. Okay. And they're actually talking about uh, both communication, power, all kinds of relay mm. systems, building infrastructure to actually assist in the exploration and science and, mm. and build up. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that helps me picture better the crater and communicating exactly. straight yeah. up. I mean, yeah. if you're really deep in, you're going to have to go up. But if you're, you know, it depends on where you can put a repeater. True, oh, true. Wow. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I have another question. Uh, Cal Coos wants to know, are you going to send rovers to these craters first before we eventually send the next woman or the next person, and if so, when? Mm -hmm. uh, we really want to, and uh, we're working on plans along those lines that um, still are being formulated. So um, yes, uh, you need mobility to really understand the distribution of water, and and I think everyone appreciates that. So. Um, mm -hmm. That is one of the higher priorities right now to understand the resources at the poles is to get a rover at the poles, mm -hmm. at least one and more. You really probably want more uh, to start prospecting and characterizing and identifying. And that's the instrument I showed was built specifically to go on a rover just like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so hopefully before 2024. Okay. Um, yeah. it, it, yeah. I mean, that's an ideal situation, but there's also mm. alternative. I mean, if, if, if we get the human... Uh, visiting the moon before we get the rovers. The rovers will yeah, be it, hand it, in hand. I mean, it doesn't yeah. t it doesn't slow down no, the does whole not. architecture to get point. humans. Twenty twenty four does not depend at all yeah. on uh, um, our because wherever that. the yeah, the yeah, astronauts okay. are going to land is unexplored territory, mm -hmm. nonstop. You know, yeah. and they're and going stop. to make so many discoveries. Yeah. They're going to make so many discoveries, right? and they're going to be like, we're going to do this slightly different. Last time, this is exactly what happened on Apollo with the six landed missions. Each of them built upon the experience of the prior. Oh yeah, and we all do that in science and in engineering. Makes we learn sense. what works, what doesn't work, and we we expand. Okay. In fact, perhaps we might have a scenario where the humans get first, and they're going to like, I want a rover to go over there. Because yeah. you know what? I haven't yet developed my harness to do rappelling off of cliff <laughs> yet. Yeah. But I know a rover can do it with you know some sort of design. And then you okay, know a couple right. years later, I've got my rappelling harness ready to go. So, they're you know, ready. hey, mm -hmm. could be that. All right, yeah. yeah. Little by so little. we have time for one last question. Uh, so, triple X, Y, H, V, H, triple X wants to know, um, is radioactivity uh, really a major concern when traveling to and from Earth, and how does this radiation affect your instruments? Mm -hmm. uh, it is. It, it absolutely is, and it needs to be designed uh, into all your considerations, uh, both for the instruments and for humans. And so, uh, our instrument... Uh, uses components and electronic parts that are what was called flight qualified for flight. And what, the, what that means is they've undergone testing to show that radiation doesn't affect them. Okay. And you know, for electronics, we've been sending probes to Pluto, and the mm -hmm. Voyagers have left the system, you know, the solar system. Long time in space. So from an electronics <laughs> point of view, we're kind of smart on yes. making things robust. I mean, the challenges are when you have new materials and really smaller transistors, transistors and the like that you'll have to do. But we have new facilities testing. here to test them. Okay. So um, for that, for the the biology is the the other. Unknown. Yeah. So the biology is mm -hmm. the one that we're going to have to be learning and adapting and reacting to and being proactive as we go forward. 
And also we're going to be wanting to monitor um, when the big solar storms yeah. come. Right. Um, our uh, understanding, I mean, uh, we have sentinels out in space right now that are monitoring the solar um, behavior. And whenever we get these solar storms that could, you know, uh, you know, when it happens and our astronauts are on the International Space Station, um, they go to a certain part of the space station that's more protected, a safer, a safer oh, place. Right, right. We're going to have scenarios like that with our humans on the moon as well and on, you know, wherever they are next. Uh, so uh, it is a concern, but it, it's it's uh, we're going to learn and we're going to adapt and we're going to, um, you know, be uh, react and be also preventing sure. things. Too. I, I'll, yeah. The only thing I'll add is uh, another great use of water is radiation shielding. One of the okay. best radiation shields there is mm. is water. Funny. So there are discussions about using regolith, but also in the safe room where you really need extra protection, huh. you have a layer of water that, that you've mined on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then mm -hmm. once in other places, like um, one of the neat discoveries that the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, this is a moon, uh, a spacecraft in orbit around the moon for the last 10 years, um, uh, has, you know, uncovered these places that are lava tubes, these underground mm -hmm. caverns in the moon. Ooh. And they're also places that we have to explore. Cool. They're not quite at the poles, but once we've set up this infrastructure to allow us to go anywhere on the lunar surface, yeah. I bet you an early destination after going to the poles will be go to explore the underground caverns. Excellent. That's the same and bit. that's also a place for potentially uh, you can take advantage of the, you know, what nature gave you mm -hmm. as a, a shield. Right. Mm -hmm. Go underground. Go, go underground. underground. Exactly. Excellent. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So maybe. Because there's lava tubes on Mars too. Oh, so, that's right. So you can figure out if you can work this whole yeah. thing out on the moon, you've got it sorted for Mars. Excellent. We got it all figured out. Yeah. No, <laughs> we have to we, go and do it. Yeah, right, yes, right, right, exactly. right. It's all, we're all talk right now. Once we do it, <laughs> right. then yeah. we can say, well, yeah, we've we're, got ready. we're ready. We've got 1,656 days to do <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, before we have to wind up, we've been talking about all these challenges, and you guys sound confident that we're going to figure mm -hmm. it out, but we're going to need a lot of help, right? Mm -hmm. So there might be people listening who want to get in on that. So do you, do you guys have an answer for... What's a what's a good way to prepare to help NASA tackle these challenges down the road? Are there particular you know majors in college you would do or skills you would develop? Well, it's, it, one thing is it's important to note that this isn't going back to put a new footprint on the moon mm -hmm. and then come mm -hmm. home. It really is to be a sustained presence that is uh, with an open architecture, as Kimberly described. So it's involving everybody from the commercial side to industry to governments, foreign NASA agencies, all NASA agencies. So uh, I really do think we're at a, a, the dawn of a new age of exploration. And so the opportunities are going to be incredible and vast in terms of being able to participate uh, not only within a government agency to get into space, but you can now go work at a company and get into space. Yeah. And eventually, I do not doubt that there won't only be NASA astronauts. There will be corporate astronauts. Interesting. Uh, and, We're going to need people who know how to build things and mm -hmm. fix things exactly. and <laughs> improve things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And keep an infrastructure going. All so basically love. saying you can do anything. Just everything help. from business to engineering to science. Yeah. To medicine. To, the, um, you know. Even the philosophy and, and the law. I mean, right, this is a, right, opens right. up an entire new area of of international yeah. law, interplanetary law. Fascinating. That uh, we haven't even begun to scratch, really. Wow. And it's the basis of becoming a spacefaring civilization. Yeah. That's what's next. Yeah. Yep. Exciting. We're there. 
We're there. there. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. So a huge thanks to you guys, our guests, and to everyone who joined us in the Twitch chat with your amazing questions. We will be back on Thursday, July 18th, when we talk about the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing. And then tune in the next day, Friday, July 19th, for a special live broadcast from NASA centers across the country celebrating the Apollo 50th as we go forward to the moon. So for more info on that, go to www.nasa.gov Apollo 50, and we will see you next time. Thanks for watching.